This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 30th of August 2021, only two days until spring. Oh, can't wait. And of course, Australia's two biggest cities are both in pretty major lockdowns because they're having pretty major outbreaks. The Sydney outbreak is the one that is the largest in number. But when it started, there was a lot of talk around how if if Sydney had just locked down earlier, maybe it wouldn't have gotten so big. And then on the flip side, sort of, it's constantly being compared to Melbourne, which did lock down really hard and really quickly when its most recent outbreak started. And yet the case numbers in Melbourne are still climbing at a pretty steep rate. And so I think the question on a lot of people's minds is, didn't Victoria do everything right? And why are their case numbers still climbing so quickly? I think Victorian authorities are wondering the same thing. You've got a couple of things going on. One is the Delta variant, which is more contagious and really much harder to contain. And you've got higher viral load and probably a a higher percentage of people who are infected, able to pass it on and create new clusters. And whether or not there are new clusters emerging is a, is a matter of debate, the so-called K number rather than the R number. The R number is key, and it's obviously above one, which means that you've got exponential growth, albeit a bit slow at this stage. Well, it looks slow. If it keeps on going to larger and larger numbers, it will speed up. The second thing that's going on, which is probably at least as important, is that people are tired and fatigued and are resisting the full lockdown that they were more likely to comply with last year. Haven't seen the mobility data. Anecdotally, people are saying that that's the case, that the mobility data suggests that it's just harder to pin down. This is still in the northern northwestern corridor in Victoria, which is where people are living in multi-generational households, don't necessarily have easy access to recreational areas and are doing it tough with their kids. So this is just really hard stuff. And you've also got people delaying coming forward for their testing. So you've got people out in the community for significant periods of time spreading the virus before they're discovered to be positive. And the other thing that's happened is that once you get beyond 50 cases a day, your contact tracers are really doing it tough themselves they just start to lose a bit of control of it. Not completely, they're keeping the numbers in check, but not completely in check. And this this is why case numbers are really important to the spread of this pandemic. Restrictions are really only as good as people's ability to comply with them. And where does a government go from here if they've got sort of incredibly tough restrictions in place, but people either won't or just can't? comply. Well, you're in the situation that you've got in New South Wales, albeit New South Wales, there were many problems with the lockdown and inconsistencies and complexity with rules. But you are in that situation where you've got to push vaccination. There are only so many variables here that you're juggling. You've got your public health and social measures, and that's your lockdown and so on. You've got your test, trace, isolate and quarantine, TTIQ, which is largely dependent on contact tracing, but also people coming forward for testing and also effective quarantine so that you're staying in quarantine when you're you're, uh, positive and or isolation, I should say. And thirdly, you've got vaccination. And vaccination is really important here. And Victorians have got to really 
amp up their vaccination rate to the same sort of level as New South Wales so that you're rushing towards high vaccination levels, um, including 12 to 15-year-olds now? Well, that is something that has been ramping up a lot. Like you say, New South Wales is doing particularly well on the vaccination front. The other states are trying to catch up. And like you say, yeah, ATAGI, the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation, on Friday said, uh, yes, teens aged 12 to 15 should be getting Pfizer as well. They sort of also indicated that they might be recommended to get the Moderna vaccine too once it comes online uh, next month. Yes. I mean, there's a little bit of evidence from overseas that Moderna gives you um, a higher level of immunity than Pfizer, but I don't think it really matters which they get, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer. They may just do that for administrative ease where you you just allocate your Moderna doses to 12, 15-year-olds, you, know you know where they're going. But I, I don't think there's any particular evidence that it's so much better in 12 to 15-year-olds. I think it's just simply an administrative issue there, I suspect. I haven't seen scientific evidence to support it one way or the other. And of course, in Australia, we've got the Therapeutic Goods Administration who long ago approved Pfizer for over 12-year-olds and the AstraZeneca vaccine has been approved for over 18-year-olds. And then within that, ATAGI makes these recommendations about who should be getting it at any given time. And Ian's been asking about this. He's asking whether the eligibility of the 12 to 15-year-olds to get vaccinations setbacks the targets of reaching 70 or 80 percent by a number of weeks he's even wondering if it might be pushing it back by a couple of months on one hand ian sort of says it adds numbers to the potential of the population who can be vaccinated but then also it might maybe slows down that finish line for us if you read the doherty model they suggest that overall benefits of population vaccination are not helped hugely by immunizing 12 to 15 year olds and that's in terms of herd immunity, even if we're able to talk about herd immunity anymore. The reasons that you immunise 12 to 15-year-olds are so they can get back to school, they are protected against uh, disease, but probably not so much for for herd immunity, although they do spread. And as they get older into adolescence, they spread as much as young adults. So there there are reasons to immunise beyond just those individual reasons for individual benefit to these kids and allow them to get back to school probably does help a bit more than the Doherty model suggests in terms of spread. But in terms of slowing down the overall goal, this is only an improved goal. That This is this can only be an improved goal down to 12 year, years of age. In terms of delaying the targets, it really shouldn't make a difference because there's extra supplies coming in. And remember, we are prioritising people in the younger age groups anyway because they are the higher spreaders. Over 60s can go and get Astra. And their rates are improving. So you've now got 80% or all, or more of 70-year-olds having had their first dose. But really, 60 and above really should be getting forward, getting their Astra and getting very high numbers. We should be aiming for 90 95% of that age group very, very quickly. Sadly, we should have been there already, to be honest, because they've had the vaccine doses available. So assuming Astra still continues to go to the over 60s, we should have been have enough for the 12 to 15 year olds not to affect the targets. And remember, the targets are actually improved in terms of the robustness if we start to talk about 17, 80% of over 12s. The, a feature of the vaccine rollout in Australia this year has really been that it's been throttled by lack of supply. Like, yes, we've had we've had ample supply of AstraZeneca, but that was recommended for certain age groups. It was it was very kind of stop start in terms of the rollout for people who were eligible for the Pfizer vaccine. But the the last quarter of this year, we're going to have literally millions and millions of doses of Pfizer and Moderna coming online. I think we're getting 
something like nine or 10 million doses of Moderna in the next couple of months alone. And I'm not sure what the latest figures are on Pfizer, but it's a similar kind of ballpark, isn't it? Well, uh, from memory, there was uh, 20 million doses. And, uh, could be wrong about that, but 20 million doses in the fourth quarter coming through. So that's plenty of doses and hopefully some of those will be advanced so that we're getting them earlier. Some of them have been advanced earlier. How much more could come earlier is a matter of conjecture. And I'm told that Pfizer's factories are producing more vaccines than they were expecting. So there may well be some wriggle room there to move even the to move the supply even earlier. So I don't think supply is going to be an issue from now on. It's just coming forward and getting those jabs in your arms. And that's the way out for Victoria. And a question from Stephen saying, everyone is talking about how difficult it is to get the Delta strain under control. But Stephen says, what's the likelihood of an even more transmissible or deadly strain emerging? And what should we be doing to be ready for it? Talking to Eddie Holmes at the University of Sydney, he's not prepared to predict whether or not a more transmissible or deadly strain will emerge. Delta is pretty muscular. It's likely that a new one will emerge. But whether it'll be more contagious or more vaccine resistant remains to be seen. What we have to do to prepare for the next variant is actually get to very high levels of immunization very quickly so that we're ready for the third dose. I think we should think of it as the third dose of the vaccine rather than the booster, because almost certainly these vaccines should be seen as three dose vaccines and get the third dose early. And that's going to make us as resistant as possible to severe disease and keep that hospitalization rate as low as possible. You know, a big jump in uh, in a strain that's highly vaccine resistant will be a worry. There's no question about that. All we've got to do is be alert for that and donate as many doses as we can to low income countries. So the likelihood of a new strain emerging is as low as possible. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. If you've got a question, send it to abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. <laughs> 